Let go with Ego. Existen dos tipos de personas en el mundo. Los que prefieren un desayuno dulce con frutas, dulce de leche y un jugo de naranja. Y los que prefieren un desayuno salado con chorizo, huevos rancheros y un café. Pero sin importar qué tipo de persona eres, hay algo que a todos les va a gustar. Los crujientes y esponjosos Ego Waffles. Ya sea que te guste un desayuno salado, con huevos o salsa picante encima de tus waffles, o seas más dulcero y los prefieras con mantequilla y miel. Encuéntranos en el pasillo de desayunos congelados. Lego with Ego. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation. Justin and so good. Thousands of summer deals at your Nordstrom Rack Store. Save up to 60% on new arrivals from Vince, Rag and Bone, Adidas, Joe's, Marc Jacobs, and more. Great brands, great prices every day at Nordstrom Rack. But hurry for first dibs. Get your summer favorites up to 60% off at Nordstrom Rack today. Great brands, great prices. That's why you rack. Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... Yeah, the charcoal mess. Great, because why would I put that on my face when I could drop it in my sink? This is what I get for multitasking. Ugh, why is charcoal so sticky? <clears throat> Hello? Hey, Janice. I am so sorry. I thought I was on mute. <laughs> no, we don't need to reschedule. I'll just stay off camera. Ooh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispie. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. Like that car riding right your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on AutoTrader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro... Cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader. Hi, everyone. I'm Joanna. And I'm Jenny. No, that's not Jenny. We'll get to that. And this is Hyphenated, the podcast about living in the hyphen. So today I'm actually uh, joined by a very, very, very good friend of mine. Um, we've been friends for many years. And you may have seen him on your televisione. Um, he was a star on Lethal Weapon on Fox. And he is now a lead character on the new Gossip Girl on HBO Max. This is Jonathan Fernandez. Thanks for having me on your show. <laughs> uh, this is a huge honor and privilege. And uh, and to be able to do this with someone that I know and love uh, is a dream come true. I was trying to think how, how long we've been friends. And I think it's been about eight years. Yeah, it's, it's shorter than what it feels like. It feels like yeah. always. You know, I was there the night you found out you booked um, Lethal Weapon, which was your first big 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 I mean you had been on girls you had been I mean you had been a, a day player actor on a bunch of shows but it is that thing of just like it's so 
there's nothing more accurate about uh, careers, like acting careers, especially where you just make it overnight in 20 years. People are like, oh, you're new. And it's like, yeah, I'm new. Uh, I started doing it 10 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> but all that is to say, uh, it's really nice to like share that with you. And that was like a, a moment where you're just kind of like, wow, I guess this is what we're doing now. Why don't you tell us a little bit about who Jonathan Fernandez is um, other than actor. I was born in Brooklyn. Uh, and when I was seven, we moved to the Poconos. My parents are, uh, my father's Honduran, my mother's Colombian. I'm first generation American along with my brother. And high school I went to in like the Poconos and in Pennsylvania and I went to Penn State. I was, I was homecoming king in high school because I was friends with all the kids. like the goths and the jocks and the artists and like all that stuff. Um, and so my whole life has just kind of been like trying to absorb as much different information as possible and mix in with as many different groups as possible because that's what makes life really interesting. You know, my wife and I met cheerleading, uh, like we were both cheerleaders in, at Penn State and, uh, and it makes no sense. Um, it makes no sense that you were a cheerleader. You, you are such, you never smile. You're such a, you're very chill and not peppy at all. In three years that I did it at Penn State, I smiled probably twice you know and it was like by mistake i was like i only did it because i was good at it which like no cheerleader that's not the reason that people do it which i didn't realize i was just like i didn't think that was a weird thing at all but yeah so it's like everything has just kind of like uh geared up toward doing things that um weren't like a natural path for me even comedy because like i just fell into it um i did improv in college and then that's when I realized, like, my senior year of college, I was like, oh, I will never be a professional cheerleader. Cheerleading all of a sudden is, like, the, the biggest waste of time ever. Um, and I really started pursuing theater for non-theater majors uh, and working in television production. I interned at TRL, at MTV, um, to really kind of, like, cement what my age is. Now everybody knows. <laughs> yeah, and then from there, I worked at Who Wants to Be a Millionaire as an audience, uh, like, coordinator, PA person. Uh, and then I kept on working at ABC as a production coordinator, um, tech scheduler, uh, manpower scheduler guy, uh, which was able to fund my improv classes at UCB. And that's when I, I got onto a sketch team like way sooner than I ever thought I would. Um, and I remember being like, oh, I guess I'm an actor now. Um, and because everybody else on my team were like actor actors. And I booked like a national commercial with Amy Poehler like a week later. And I was like, acting's easy. Oh my gosh, Jonathan, are you kidding me? After that national commercial with Amy, I didn't book for like eight months. <laughs> like, like, you know, and, I, and the next thing was like one quick thing on like the Colbert Report. And so there's been a lot of up and downs. I've been very fortunate um, with the way things have worked out. But it's a, you know, it's a tough business. I would tell everybody, anybody who's like, let me try to be an actor, I'd be like, don't do it. <laughs> It's like the dumbest, it's the dumbest thing ever. It's so bad. You, you, you rely on other people's approval. You have to worry about what you look like and you get told no 99.9% of the time. Yeah. And, and also your parents will never get it. They will never no. get it. What's funny about acting too, is that like most of the job is auditioning. Like it's rare to have like an ongoing job. And so something that really helped transform just like my psyche about it was just like, well, what if I started trying to have fun in auditions? Because <laughs> like they're terrible. Like there's a, it's a horrible thing to have to go through. But then when you start doing it in a way where you're just like, let me just like fuck the job. When you're in those moments and you're just like, let me just come out of this knowing or feeling like I did well. Like 
you know, just feeling like I had fun, like I, you know, made friends in the room or like whatever. And then it just makes you feel like you're putting less stock into having to be evaluated. It's interesting because on-camera auditions make me really anxious and nervous, but then VO auditions, VO means voiceover. You know, I'm by myself with my mic, no cameras, nothing, and just my headphones, and I have so much fun with it. And I just do weird voices, and I'm like, you know what, I think that this comedic timing here might work. And I, I don't, it's almost like, since it's so impersonal, it's like I don't see anyone, no one sees me, and I just send a clip in of just my voice that could be someone else. Like, I can change my voice to sound like someone else. It feels like weirdly separate from me. But when I'm on camera, when I'm like in front of the camera or in front of the casting director and I'm performing, that's when I feel like, oh my God, I'm so anxious. Like, I want this badly. Uh, I need to do well, whatever. And the only things I've booked due to auditions are VO gigs. But I feel like it is true that like your job is to be judged if you fit something. And that's not really anyone's job. You know what I'm saying? I'm hyper aware of what my life looks like. And it's like people will, will see just the highlights, especially with, you know, that's mostly what you put on social media. So people are like, wow, this this person has um, been on this like successful uh, Fox show. And then look, now he's on another show back to back, like right away. And he's done movies or whatever. And, and the thing is like all that time, uh, people only see those tent poles, but they don't see like the valleys that you live in in between where like I was a nightmare between Lethal Weapon and Gossip Girl. It was the, the first time in my life that I felt no confidence. And I've never, I had never felt that before in my life. And it's a very common thing that actors go through uh, where you have this period of time where you're just like, I will never get hired again. <laughs> like, I don't care what I do. No one is ever going to hire me again for in any capacity. And Lauren, my wife was like, I think you're kind of feeling anxious for the first time ever. And you don't know what that, it doesn't make sense for you. And I was like, oh my God, Jonathan, that is hilarious to me that you felt anxiety. You're like, I don't know what I'm feeling. I feel palpitations. I feel like something bad's going to happen. I feel like, I feel like my world is an abyss. And like, that's what, where I live most of the time. Cause I'm an anxious person. <laughs> and you were like, what is this feeling? You're so chill. You just don't know what anxiety feels like. Dude, no, it was like, and I'll never forget it. It was just like, uh, yeah, what it feels like to just be like, I'm no good. I'm terrible. Like, this is like, why am I doing this? And I, I definitely was like putting so much stock now for the first time in the next gig. And I went to this one audition and I was a complete fucking nightmare. Like I was mm -hmm. so weird. I was like uh, not charismatic. I didn't say anything funny. None of my jokes made any sense. I was rushing through everything. I, I wouldn't say it's an, a panic attack, but it was like some, it was on some spectrum of just me being hyper-conscious of like not being cool, <laughs> you know? It's like for the first time in, in your life, Jonathan Fernandez was definitely not cool. And you were like, I don't, I'm having an existential crisis right now. And I don't know who I am because I'm feeling anxiety. I don't feel cool. I'm like, who am I? And you were about to go into an audition that you thought was life changing. I was like, this is going to be it. And, and when I walked in there, I was a complete looney tune. It was a nightmare. And then I did, the audition was so bad that the the casting director, but she like pressed stop recording on the camera when I still had like two lines left. Oh my God, Jonathan. I heard the beep, like I heard the camera oh, beep. Oh no. And I was just like, what is happening? I just want to get the hell out of there. And, and then, and that's the thing. It's like all that stuff happens. And then like a week later, Gossip Girl happens. And then from the outside looking in, everybody's like, man, this guy's killing it. I'm like, it was not like that yeah. <laughs> at all. No, like, I know. You know, I always say that in our industry, 
when you book the job, that's when you're on vacation. So work is the auditions. Work is the sending in the packets and getting rejected. Work is going to that event to see who you can meet. Vacation is when you're on the show because that existential dread is no longer a part of you and that anxiety is no longer a part of you and you're just enjoying what you want to do. Yeah. And when you have a job in this industry that is so cutthroat, it's it's like a peaceful moment. It's like, you know, when, uh, when you're taking off and there's a ridiculous amount of turbulence, but then you like hit the altitude and you're there for a bit. But like, this isn't a direct flight. You got to take like 27 flights. And after each job, you got to do a descent. There's turbulence. There's a hurricane or whatever. And you got to land and you got to wait at the terminal for your next flight. Like, that's how I feel. I feel like I'm constantly in an airport getting on airplanes with turbulence and landing and getting on another one. I don't really know where I'm going, but I know I'm going somewhere. And every time I'm on a flight, at least I'm going to another, maybe a nicer airport next time. Like, <laughs> I remember the first thing we ever did together was a video. Uh, I had recently come out with a video that was called Things White Latinos Are Sick of Hearing. And I was like, we got we to gotta do one with Jonathan Fernandez about things black Latinos are sick of hearing. It was so interesting to hear what you have gone through and what things people have said to you and realizing that although it's, it's two very different um, experiences, there were similarities in that there were so many misconceptions and this misunderstanding of identity. As, when you identify yourself, you say you're a Latino, you're an Afro-Latino. Right. Um, what, is that new for you? Like, or were you always like very much like, this is my identity? Or were you like, oh, I think I need to hide it because it's too complicated to explain? Yeah, of course. It really would uh, unfortunately depend on the audience. Like, you know, I, would always, I was always very sensitive um, to who I was speaking with and how they would like basically it was like the path of least resistance right where it's like I know this person could kind of handle it so let me say Afro-Latino uh, and that's something that happened much later in life for me but I used to kind of and this is like a huge topic obviously because you know being black uh, is you know as much as it's like you know you could be proud and and uh, and love your blackness uh, you're also aware of how the world sees a black person so a lot of times and this is i don't want to speak for a lot of latinos and latinas but um it is like you know we're aware of, of uh phrases like black sheep and how like the color black is not uh <laughs> uh great you know black clouds like all these things and so i think um there are latinos out there who uh, try to strip themselves of that blackness because they don't want to necessarily be associated with it. And it's, uh, and many are in this like unlearning process of that because they're trying to be proud of their blackness. And I would get in, into arguments with people like at Penn state about like with, with black people who are like African-American trying to tell me that that's what I am. Like I'm African-American. And I was like, I don't know shit about African America. Like, I don't know about soul food or fucking like sneakers, <laughs> you know, all these like, like stereotype things. Like, you know, because I was like, we grew up with like, I'm, I'm a hundred percent, uh, Latino. Like my father is Honduran, my mother's Colombian and we don't have soul food and stuff like that. It's like completely, uh, Latin culture. And, uh, 
And so it's a really weird thing to have to try to convince somebody of what your experience is and what your ethnicity is because people don't like that. They, they like to be able to put you in, in a specific box. So it's weird like being in that world where I'm way more uh, Latino than many people who play them on TV, but I will never have that because I don't look like Ricky Martin, you know, because that's what everybody thinks. Uh... You look like Lenny Kravitz. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's such a it's such an odd thing. So I remember going in for commercials for uh, you know Spanish speaking parts, and like just fencing that thing in the room where they're like, "This is a gigantic waste of time for us." <laughs> but you know what's interesting is that your family represents a lot of Latin families. Like within my family, my cousins, we all look very different. My mom was born in Cuba. My my grandfather was born in Venezuela. My my mom's brothers and sisters got married to Venezuelans. And Latin America has such a different history with race to the point where I have friends that have a, a black brother and they're white. And it's like there's this <clears throat> long history of races mixing and mashing more than in the U.S. The U.S. you had like the Puritans arrive and they came with their families and then they were like, we're going to kill the Native Americans and we're going to bring Africans here as slaves. And it's going to be illegal until like recently to even like fraternize with these people. But then in Latin America, it was so different, right? It was like you had all these like dudes from Portugal and Spain come without wives. And they're like, well, I guess we got to, I don't know, figure it out here. And then they started having children with the African slaves they started having children with native women and then what's crazy jonathan what blew my mind i remember in venezuela people are like you know i don't understand the americans with their race of like either white or or black you know we have so many other races here in terms for people spanish mixing with native american is mestizo european heritage mixing with african heritage is called mulato right and i didn't realize this but this was literally part of a caste system that decided how many rights you had. So in other words, what in Venezuela is like, Ay, I'm a mulato, woo, mestizo power. Like these things that people are very proud of and proud that it shows the diversity in our culture was actually a caste system. Like it, it like shattered my view of it. You know what I'm saying? Like I was like, oh, I, I thought this, I thought these words were positive words of diversity, but they were literally words to, to figure out who deserved more rights than who. <laughs> like I remember like my kind of like awakening moment with this stuff was all of a sudden being like wait a second like none of us should even fucking speak Spanish like right away I was just like what that makes no sense like you have this whole continent um, of South America and then also Central America um, large swaths of it were just like wait like the Incans and the Mayans and the Aztecs and, and the other uh groups like that's something i'm still learning about too like just who was there first like not first but who was there before because what happened to them because if they like if there was no spanish and portuguese or in portugal also created modern slavery basically um but like without their interference like what would those civilizations become today and that's the same thing that you can say for like the native americans as well where it's like especially because they're like universally uh looked at as intelligent like you, you go to like Machu Picchu or like whatever, and people, people who study those cultures are like, wow, look how brilliant these cultures were because they did, you know, with their irrigation systems or like you know whatever it is, and they're just like wiped out because of people 
the Spanish coming over and just being like, we have a complete lack of respect for what is here. And we are here to plunder and rape and all that stuff. And so, bye. It's also like, oh, here's a little blanket. And it's like smallpox literally decimated the population. Yeah, I think like in, uh, I was reading some figures earlier today. And it's like when Columbus landed in, uh, you know, Hispaniola or whatever, it's like a th it knocked out like two thirds of the population. Like there were only like 20,000, uh, you know, Tainos left like in the area. And that's just from like, yeah, just from smallpox or whatever. Well, I mean, obviously there was also like actual murder and everything, but it's just like that those kinds of devastations are almost impossible to fathom, especially when you go down the entire continent of South America, you know? And then 400 years later, we're all like, y viva España. And it's like, fuck that. <laughs> like that makes no sense. It's, it's interesting because now, um... A lot of Venezuelans, for example, are like asking for their Spanish uh, passport. And you want to be proud of your of your language. You want to be proud of your heritage. You want to be proud of your past. But then it's like, you know, just glazing over a lot of the horrific history and how much of it was based on this hierarchical racial system. And no one really talks about it. Like, you know, so much, so many people on online when I, you know, po posted about Black Lives Matter and you know, um, more like, well, that doesn't happen in Latin America. Like Latin America, we are we are a completely diverse, mixed um, a continent. In Venezuela, like everyone is everything. And I'm like, well, okay, but there's an implicit bias, and there's there's differences in the experience depending on what you represent and what you look like. Like, yes. Within every family, you could have a black cousin, a white cousin, a mestizo cousin of this. One brother comes out like that. The other brother comes out like that because we're so genetically mixed. And we see it as something to celebrate. Obviously, great. But it's also, uh, I think it's 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 this fear of, of facing sort of like some of the ugly history. Oh, of course, yeah. Yeah, because here it's like, you know, even with what you just said, it's like, okay, great. We're all, you know, mezclado, cool. But then who's going to, if you're going to choose someone to represent this nation or this uh, area or whatever, who's chosen? You know, mm -hmm. so like when you look at the, the politics of it and who is in power and all that stuff, it's just like everything in the world has been geared toward how close to white are you? Like media is very powerful. Like uh, pop, pop culture media especially is very powerful. I, I, I grew up with certain soap operas. I don't remember seeing any black people in any novella I ever grew up with, ever. You know, no. like none of them. And that's really fucking powerful because you're not, frankly, white enough to represent what we think you should be representing. It's, it's like, it's just a, a level of erasure that's so hard to come to terms with because um, that's, it's chosen. It's a, it's a delineation in the sand that the powers that be keep on trying to impose. You didn't, don't you think it's like crazy that, you know, you had these conquistadors and the Spanish arrive and to all the Native Americans, they were like, hey, we're going to take your riches, your wealth, you're, we're, we're going to basically take over. But you know what you're going to get in return? The concept of a god that doesn't exist. I'm an atheist. Um, but it's like, it's like, we're, you're salvaged. Here's a little book and a little cross and you're welcome. Now I'm going to take all your shit. It's like how religion also has been used to further a political agenda or an economic agenda. You know, I'm very ignorant when it comes to a lot of this stuff because we're not taught these things either. 
you know, especially with when we're taught about like Squanto and Thanksgiving, it's like such a bullshit version of it that just like, as soon as you stop to think about it, it's like that actually, there's no way this happened in this way. Like you guys came over, annihilated people, but then also now you're breaking bread and like eating turkey and shit. That makes no sense. Yeah, Thanksgiving is bizarre. And so like, uh, and it's like maybe if they, if Squanto was actually there, he was forced. It's like, it's about survival. It's like, how do, do I either keep on trying to raise my spear uh, or do I lay down my spear so I fucking live and try to save some people while I'm also doing that, you know? And so like with, uh, like I, I didn't know about, um, the Moors so much in Spain. And so when I started reading about Granada, I was like, oh, I didn't realize that Granada was like this, la the last remaining stronghold for, uh, Muslims in Spain. Mm -hmm. And so like when they got annihilated, then that was the thing that gave Spain and the crown uh, through Catholicism, they're like, this is our divine right to be here, to conquer. And that religious fervor that they carried on through the uh, the annexation of Granada and stuff was what they were like, that's the high that they were coming off of when they went west to Latin America. They were like, we did it here, we can do it there. You know, say you're just like this Incan and you're chilling like in Machu Picchu, like having like, you know, living your best life or whatever. And then some Spanish asshole comes over to you and it's just like, not only are we gonna take your stuff, but like, do you know that you're also like a heathen? Like, do you also know that you're this devil person because you don't believe any of this? Like, look at it, like, let me regale you with tales of Spain and, and these like empires that are way better than yours. Uh, don't you wanna be a part of that because you suck? And like- Honestly, I'm getting elementary school flashbacks here. <laughs> no, but it is that same thing. It's like playing on your fears and Catholicism does a great job of playing. It's all fear-based, right? It's like, I have a huge problem with being like how you can be proud to be God-fearing. I'm like, why should you fear your God? Like, that makes no sense to me. Like, the the, the person who, or this being that's supposed to be uh, like as pure love as possible, um, you know, it's like, oh, I have to live my life in fear of this thing. And that's really baffling to me because that's so dangerous for like how you live your life, you know? And so like, either way, you're trying to chill. And then this person's like, you should be like, let me t tell you about how you should be afraid of all these things because you're gonna go to hell. Like, how does that play into, and also we're gonna kill you if you don't. Like those two things is just like, it makes for such a wildly successful campaign of colonization is what I'm trying to get at. Like religion was a great tool in colonizing because it was, it's like something that you can't, you know when you try to um, like have a conversation or a debate with like someone that just ignores science, it's like, Oh, the, the earth is flat. It's like, no, no, no. The earth is, is round, but, but there's no way of, exp uh, the, it, they're not in the logic world. So that's kind of what these guys did. They're like religion, no explanation, a guy on the cross, he's God's son. And, um, if you don't believe in him, you're going to die. And it's like, wait, but I don't get no, or we'll kill you. Yeah. It's like, and the thing <laughs> is like, and that's what, it, what I was getting at before. It's like, in terms of what language uh, we speak that unifies the continent, except for Brazil, obviously, uh, where it's just like, like, why do you speak Spanish? Why are you Catholic? You know, cause the Incans didn't, but like, they're not Catholic. <laughs> like they didn't grow up Catholic, you know? And so, and they have their own gods and all that stuff. So like when you start asking questions like that, then you're just like, wow, there has to be at the very least, some kind of acknowledgement of what the origin story is, of which right now there's zero. And that's why so many people have oh. such a hard time with like things like reparations because they can't even get their mind around that. When I went to Mexico, I was sort of shocked in that for the first time I saw a country be very, very 
proud of their, you know, Native American history. Eh, Teotitlan, eh, a lot of museums there talk about, you know, the the history and what was there before the Spanish arrived. And so much of history classes is America began uh, in 1492 when Columbus was like, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna go over there because I feel like countries want to be proud of their past. It's just trying to, to show that there's reasons to be proud of that country. And because of that, like we ignore a lot of the history that I would I feel like we all deserve to know. And a lot of the history I've learned, or at least was privy to, because of salsa songs. Like, salsa songs about, I like I am a slave and uh, stop hitting my people. And then it's like, people are like, woo, yeah! And it's like, actually, this is a song about, like, uh, oppression. <laughs> um, there's this, like, disconnect, I think, uh, between what we learn and what we're proud of and then the stuff that we should know and the structures behind that if you take away all the like you know a salsa song that is like empowering makes you feel pretty good and if you take away the good things that came out of it like this the pop culture part of it and all that stuff and then you look at the problems that any country faces in the western hemisphere uh but specifically like you know the americas uh, which is the Western Hemisphere, but uh, like the, the problems that we have socially and everybody's like, how do we fix these things? It's like the only way to look at that is if you look to the past and see what these structures are and why they were built. Because otherwise, you know, when you're looking at the corruption and the poverty uh, and the systems in place in like here and in uh, Latin America as well, it traces back to that stuff. Like that's those that's what was like set. Those are the foundations. Like this country specifically is based off slavery. That's why it became successful. Like that other like free labor is the reason it became this this massive country that eventually was able to shift or throw its weight around the entire world for 200 years or whatever. And so when you're looking at like, well, why are these why do we have all these social issues? It's like, well, we have to look at that stuff. Why are Native Americans on reservations? Like you take that for granted to just be like, oh yeah, it's a reservation or whatever. It's like why when you ask like why they're there, it's really fucked up. Like it's really, really fucked up. And people are just like, oh, that makes me feel bad. Let me just continue eating my Big Mac because this shit is fire. You know, we were talking about me and you were talking about our careers, right? At the beginning of this and how people only see the tent poles and the successes. And then they don't see the valleys and the moments of like darkness and the bad parts and the fears. And I feel like country histories are the same. <laughs> They're like, this is our independence and we did this correctly. And look how wonderful we are here. And they don't, they don't want to look and assimilate the negative dark side of their pasts as much. Yeah, people much. just want to talk about the hits. Let me give you all the just hits. Just want to talk about the hits. If Latin America and the US and all countries had social media, they'd be exactly like us. They'd be posting themselves like, we have the tallest waterfall in the world. And then like ignore the fact that it's like 87% poverty. All of your past makes who you are. And I guess we've, since we've glossed over these things for so long, we, we don't even realize the point of inception of how our society works so like mis venezuelas are majority european looking women right and a couple years ago there was a black woman 
from Petare, a poor region of Caracas, who became Miss Venezuela. And people were like, no, ew, like, get her out. You walk around Venezuela, most people look like her. They don't look like the last billion Miss Venezuelas. There's a perception of what they look like because that's what, what, that's what the standard of beauty is. And in order to understand that, we have to go all the way back to the 1500s, right? And it's like, okay, people are like, we can't keep looking back. We can't keep looking back. And it's like, well, I kind of want to look back because I want to understand why we're doing this here now. The reason we see so many white women on CNN missing and no women of color is because of the history of this country. It, this the country, this country being the U.S. You know what's funny about that is like, it's that's almost purely rooted in uh, like when people look at those problems, it's like the only version of that problem where people are like, don't look into the past. Because if you were to apply that to any other logic, you'd be like, sorry, this car just doesn't work. Like, and you're like, well, let's see, like, what what happened? Like, why did the car? Why is the fender broken? They're like, nope. Let's not, like, look at all to see, like, whether it was an accident or any of that stuff. It's just like, sorry, the fucking car is broken. The car's broke? Actually, the car's fine. Just leave it there. It's fine. Uh, we'll make it a... We'll put a monument next to it, ignoring its history. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, my God. Jonathan, we covered so many things. We went from, like, the acting world and the history of Latin America, colonization, racism, Afro-Latinidad. Not even the tip of the iceberg. It's like you're still, we're still like in, we haven't even landed on Earth yet to even see the iceberg at all. It's like so, it's such a vast, I mean, yeah, we hit it in the most like superficial way possible because there's too much. I know. I think we're going to have to have another conversation soon. Uh, love you, my man. Same. Uh, you're the best. Let's let's uh, hang out not only in the temples, but in the valleys. Look at that. Look how, look how poetic. I love this. <laughs> Let go with Ego. Existen dos tipos de personas en el mundo. Los que prefieren un desayuno dulce con frutas, dulce de leche y un jugo de naranja. Y los que prefieren un desayuno salado con chorizo, huevos rancheros y un café. Pero sin importar qué tipo de persona eres, hay algo que a todos les va a gustar. Los crujientes y esponjosos Ego Waffles. Ya sea que te guste un desayuno salado, con huevos o salsa picante encima de tus waffles, o seas más dulcero y los prefieras con mantequilla y miel. Encuéntranos en el pasillo de desayunos congelados. Lego with Ego. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation.